You're listening to Hope's Cast. This podcast is a space dedicated to self-growth and motivation. By sharing our truths and parts of our stories, we hope to inspire you to find your silver lining and tell your life's best story. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I have Chef Amber Lancaster with me. She runs Allegory Restaurant in New Jersey. She's earned her culinary degree from the famous Le Cordon Bleu in Paris, where Julia Child studied. She's also worked for top chefs all over the world, including right here in Chicago. She's been on Guy's Grocery Games, and most recently, you can find her on season 19 of Hell's Kitchen. Welcome, Amber. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I know it's been so long. It feels like it's been a minute ago that we were sitting at Loyola, but also centuries since everything that's been happening in the world. I know it's so wild. I do feel like we were just sitting uh, in those weird chairs at school, at college, right beside each other, which is so strange to think about because it does really just feel like yesterday, which really still blows my mind, but it was not yesterday. I know so much has changed. And how have you been? Can you tell me how you're holding up with the way you've had to change the way you work and just all these amazing accomplishments you've been achieving so far? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's, uh, it's a very different time in the world and things are, you know, always changing. But the good news is that as a chef, the best thing you can do is be adaptable. And I think that you know, the, the skills in my career have, have taught me that, you know, the only thing you can do is look forward and adapt, you know, to survive. So kind of survival of the fittest, if you will. And, and that's kind of what we're doing. Awesome. And I know that your story of how you started cookie cooking, your journey has been discussed quite a bit lately. The um, story that you grew up cooking with your grandparents because your mom wasn't the best of chefs. And then the conversation you had with your uncle, but I do think for the new listeners, we should just tap into it. So they have an idea of really where the passion came from, but can you quickly just share with us how you left that law school? I don't know that you were in law school, but studying for law school to go full on with culinary and cooking and what you love. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the million dollar question was, you know, if I could do one thing every day where money was no issue, what would I do? And at the end of the day, you know, my answer without even thinking for a split second was I would cook. And, and that's when, you know, my uncle told me, well, you should drop out and go to culinary school. And I just remember thinking, ha, like, that's a really funny thought. That's not going to happen, you know, because um, I had a full ride. And so I did end up giving up my full ride and taking out giant loans, which was terrifying, you know, when you're 19 years old, 18 years old. Uh, but I did it and I, I don't regret it. It was definitely worth it. Uh, Student loans do suck, but, um, you know, knowing what you, knowing that you love what you do is definitely something that's priceless. And are you glad that you made that choice? Is it still the best decision of your life? Yeah, it, it is the best decision of my life because I think that through and through the biggest thing for me is that, you know, there's been moments like even when I met you at Loyola, you know, there were moments in my, you know, my career, my life where I kind of left the kitchen for a minute but my heart just always drags me back, you know, because it's just, it's just what I'm meant to do. Well, let's talk about that because that is kind of how our relationship started. And I don't want to speak for you, but it seems like that was the biggest struggle in your career, at least. And what what happened then? Can you tell them where you were working in Chicago, what was going on? And I know that you didn't get your degree in cooking. Like you already had a degree from the best, one of the best 
culinary schools, but then you were studying communications. So why? Yeah. So I, um, I was working, uh, after I left France and came to Chicago, I came to Chicago to work for Grant Ackett's at Alinea. And, um, you know, I had, you know, that was kind of my dream chef that I wanted to work for. And one of those chefs where I had that, that first cookbook experience where I just kind of got chills when I opened the book and I, I wanted to work for him through and through. And so, you know, I, I did stand in a blizzard for days, refusing to leave without the man giving me a job. And I, and I did end up getting a job there. And it was one of the best experiences in my life, but also one of the most heartbreaking. I ended up leaving um, unexpectedly because I had hurt my, I was hurt at work and had to leave. You know, it kind of led me to thinking about what's what was important to me in the moment. And, and I was burnt out, you know, with the way you used to work Back then in Chicago, it wasn't illegal, it's illegal now, but they ha- used to have this thing called shift pay or day rate pay, where your boss would tell you when you start and your boss would tell you when you stop. So you would be paid the same $80 for one day, but your boss told you when you started and when you stopped. So it was way below minimum wage, you know, when you calculated the amount of hours you would work, whether it's 14 or 18 hours a day, you know, you would end up making six bucks an hour. Uh, but you do it to have that on your resume. And so I was just really burnt out and I wanted to go back and finish my original undergraduate degree, which is how I ended up at Loyola. And I, I thought, well, I, I, you know, I would finish it in French, but I wanted to double major in communications because I wanted to give myself more of a diverse background and an opportunity in case things, you know, shifted in my career again in the future that I just opened as many doors as possible. I think you're downplaying how you were really badly injured. And I think you still have nerve damage if I remember the story correctly. So tell us the nitty gritty, because you don't just pick up and say, I'm changing my career over a splinter or a paper cut. Yeah, I uh, was accidentally kind of, a, uh, for lack of a better word, stabbed in the hand you know, the knife went into my hand. Uh, I'm on the station. That's one of the hardest stations and the most intense stations in the kitchen. And it's a Saturday night dinner service. And I remember, you know, obviously it's like, I was terrified that I was hurt, but at the same time, I was more terrified about telling my chef like, Oh crap, I might need to go to the hospital. And, uh, I went up to him and I was, you know, I told him, I I said, chef, I think I, I think I need to go to the hospital. I think I need stitches. And he told me, yeah, okay. If you go to the hospital and you get, you know, you go to get stitches and you're going to come back, you're going to be demoted to herb kitchen. You know, I went to the bathroom and I was hysterical for a minute. I called my mom and my mom said, if you can see through your hand and you can see the bone, you need to go and get stitches. So I went and I got stitches and then I came back to work and he followed through on his word and, and I was demoted. And I, w- I went from the toughest station in the kitchen and roll to the, the bottom of the totem pole again in the herb kitchen. And so for me, it kind of just, it kind of broke my chef heart um, because I was punished for something that wasn't, you know, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> So yeah, so that hurt, but, uh, and it still hurts. Obviously it's like, I have permanent uh, nerve damage in my right hand and I'm right-handed. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't tell a lot of people this, but you know, some people might notice if they see me cutting something in the kitchen, you know, you can tell I don't always cut straight. So they might be, they might look at it, you know, and it's like, here I am the head chef and I can't cut a straight line, <laughs> which is kind of funny, but it's like kind of not also. So yeah, so that's kind of that whole story. So you graduated from Loyola, but you are obviously 
an amazing chef and you are on a TV show and you've worked in such remarkable places. So what got you back into that path? I think going back into that path, you know, I, I went and I was working as a private chef for a little while for um, a really, you know, a family. And I was, I, they had, they had a chef at each one of their houses and they had five different houses in five different States. And I was overseeing each of the chefs at each of their individual houses. Um, and so it was a really good creative opportunity, but I realized there was one thing that I was really missing from the chef aspect, which was the teaching. So I really actually enjoy teaching and mentoring and actually being in a kitchen and seeing somebody kind of progress from, you know, oh, I'm your dishwasher and now I'm your prep cook. And now, you know, I'm gone from your prep cook to your garmage cook. And so I really realized, you know, how rewarding and personally fulfilling it was to grow an individual that kind of made me realize that's what I enjoy the most about being a chef. Well, that's awesome. I'm really glad that you got back into it. Obviously the world's enjoying watching you and I'm sure you have thousands of people that love your cooking. So congratulations on that. Truly. It's really hard to, I think, take a step back from what you love and then go back in it. And you really did that. So I hope in the midst of it all, you really give yourself a pat on the back because the struggle is real. And I don't think people talk about it as much. We're so busy posting the highlights and pushing forward that I think it's a good idea to stop and say, wow, I kept pushing. Yeah, that's true. I think that's a good acknowledgement. I don't think enough people uh, recognize those moments. So that's definitely a good call out. The season's wrapped up for recording purposes, but the episode's still going of Chef Gordon Ramsay's Hell's Kitchen. And we're in season 19, episode seven, I believe just aired on Thursday. And the prize is a whopping quarter of a million dollars. And the chef that wins gets to run one of his restaurants in Lake Tahoe. Really exciting things. But overall, how has the experience really helped your career and what you do? I mean, I think that um, the experience for me in general as a chef has just been kind of one of those things that's been an interesting pill to swallow, if you will. It's kind of more about self-awareness, you know, because when you're in the moment and you're in it, it's so different and you never really have have these opportunities to watch moments back in your life. And so I think that's what's really interesting about television is that you're in this very stressful environment, which is in general, like a chef's life anyways, and a lot of different career lives in general. But, um, you know, while it might be a little cliche to say, it's it's really interesting to watch for self-awareness and, and, and self growth purposes because of COVID, you know, we, we wrapped filming a year and a half ago. So it was supposed to air a, a bit sooner. Um, and then it was, you know, pushed back because of COVID. So, um, a little bit more time has passed, but it's still been interesting to kind of see, you know, to see yourself in that environment and, and how you would respond and react, um, to things is, is definitely eye-opening. And what did you notice about your performance? Were there things you liked, disliked? Yeah, I mean, I think that what's intense is, you know, for a female in the kitchen, it's very different than than I than I think it can be for a man. So, you know, if a man is stern in the kitchen, it's seen it's seen as okay, you know, he was stern in the kitchen. And if a woman is stern in the kitchen, it's seen as something completely else. So, and it's not meant to sound arrogant, but you know, I was a head chef at 25, and I wasn't a head chef at 25 because I was timid, you know? So I, I've outspoken and um, 
not not aggressive, but I've been, you know, very forward with, you know, kind of my my leadership and management style. And so I think that, you know, you look back and you're like, oh, that that that's interesting how I handled that and, you know, the the path that you take in, in regards to your growth and everything. And I think as a viewer, because I've been watching the episodes, it seems like things go by so quickly and you I, I actually think to myself, oh, wow, well, they're top chefs. Like, why are these mistakes happening, et cetera? But can you explain what it's like behind the scenes? Because you had mentioned to me, you actually have like 18 hour days. And the reason why things might not be as good is because number one, you're exhausted. Number two, you're probably cooking enormous amounts. It's not like you have one or two dishes that you have time to perfect. It's like a mixture of all of that. I'm sure emotions run high. I'm sure exhaustion plays a part. Can you share bits and pieces of that, that, that part of the experience? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a double-edged sword. I like for me, the, you know, growing up in Michelin star restaurants, that, that side of me wants to say, well, I didn't get sleep. There should be no excuses, you know, don't use no sleep, you know, sleep deprivation as an excuse, you know, be a real chef. And so there's the tough side of me that wants to say something like that, but the stressful environment on top of the lack of sleep. And if you watch a show, you know, the format of it, you know, you're on a team and then you have to work as a team and have this camaraderie and support each other. But then you also have to vote people off the Island. So it's kind of like, very conflicting because it's like, here you are trying to support each other and carry each other through service, but everybody knows there's only going to be one, one man or woman left at the end. And so, um, I think that it's kind of why the show is on its 19th season, because it's one of those things where it's like a beautiful disaster, you know, was the days a lot different than your work now, because I know you're under a lot of pressure every day on your job, but what is, work like? Because even myself, I think at one point I was like, oh, cooking is so fun. Maybe I'll go to culinary school. And then I realized <laughs> things are not as fun when they become a job as they are as a hobby. So can you share what the average workday look like, what it looks like now in comparison to what it looked like then maybe? You know, obviously a show and a competition, the day-to-day -day is very different than, than a normal um, work-life role. But typically for an executive chef, depending upon, you know, if you're in a hotel or an independent restaurant, or how many outlets you have, meaning how many restaurants your hotel might have and things like that. A lot of what you do is, is office work to be completely honest. And then you also have to go be able to go to your kitchen and know what's going on in your kitchen and be on your line with your team. So you kind of have to jump in and be everywhere all at once. You know, sometimes my, you know, what people joke about could be an eight hour day, which is like really like a 12 hour day for chefs, um, a normal day you know, it can easily turn into a 14 or 15 or 16 hour day. I always think like it's a privilege to be a leader. So it's my responsibility. You know, do I want to go home and see my dogs or have my personal life? Yes. But at the same time, it's my responsibility to, um, you know, be here for my team as well. So I think that, you know, the work-life balance for anybody in this industry, not even just chefs is, is something that is uh, very much a struggle. So when you kind of devote yourself to this lifestyle, you really do. And you felt though the similar type of stress on the show, but in a different way, obviously. Yeah, it was the type of stress you feel on the show is different just because, you know, I feel like in my work life, I, I control more of it than I did on the show. So on the show, you never know what's going to happen. And that's kind of one of the biggest things about Hell's Kitchen is like, it doesn't matter if you've watched all previous 18 seasons they change it up. You know, for example, even for our season, we had no idea we were going to film in Las Vegas. None. So, um, 
you know, they mix it up on you and that's part of the thing. So that's the biggest stressor is that, you know, like for me at work, it's very stressful, but I feel like a lot of that stress I can manage and control in a different kind of way because it depends on my performance and how I work and how I train my team. You know, you're, you know, you're only as strong as, you know, your team. I have a very strong team here and, and we all work to support each other. So I think that is a little bit different than when you're in a competitive television environment where, you know, you have to work as a team during daily challenges, but then at the end of the night, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to vote you, you know, to send you home and, and everybody has a different strategy. You know, every, I've been asked a lot if, if, if I had a strategy to vote people home that were stronger. Uh, and I never thought, I never thought like that for one second. So um, I think I thought that was interesting as well. And it's funny because I just watched on the episode that you have a shellfish allergy and I, I do as well. So I'm sure you wouldn't be putting yourself in a situation to be testing fish all the time. And that's really something where it's like, not only am I going outside of my comfort zone, but now it's a health risk. Yeah. The other thing is too, it's like, you have to prove yourself to your team. You know, it's like, if you watched, you know, those episodes, you can, you know, you can hear the guys and they're saying, oh yeah, Amber really needs to prove herself. I just remember in that challenge, I was like, you know, I knew it was lobster and I was like, it's lobster, it's lobster. Nobody was listening to me. So I just remember being like, screw it. So I, you know, put the lobster in my mouth and I said, medic. And then it came over right away and gave me a Benadryl. And the guy's like standing over there with the EpiPen ready to stab me if I need it. Um, but I was just like, this is me proving myself to you. I told you it was lobster. You didn't listen to me. I ate it now, you know, kind of like, will you be quiet? Thank you. That's funny. A lot of reflecting, I'm sure. So what is one of the best lessons you learned from being on the show? Oh gosh. I feel like I've learned so many lessons from being on the show and I feel like it changes honestly all the time. It's like every week a new episode comes out and I feel like I learned something new. You know, I'm very competitive. So I struggle with like, as soon as the camera's on, it's like, I don't really care. You know, I don't think about what I say or what I look like or any of those things. I'm just like, boom, I'm in it to win it. If I wish I could have relaxed a little bit just to enjoy that experience a smidge more, you know, it's like to be able to have the opportunity to work, you know, in that environment with Chef Ramsey, you know, he's really such an incredible chef and that is really special to be chosen and have that opportunity. And I feel like for me, I was so competitive and so focused on the prize that uh, I didn't take it in as much as I, as I would have liked to. And I know people probably ask you all the time, what's Chef Gordon Ramsay like in real life? How are the random or regular conversations you had just out to dinner with him behind the scenes? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing working for Chef Ramsay was that when people see him on television, they're like, wow, he's so intense, this and that. I, that's how chefs are in the kitchen. So every kitchen I worked in, in Europe, that's, it's very normal. And to be honest, he's pretty tame in comparison to some of the chefs I've worked for. So to be honest, you know, it's normal to be in the kitchen and that's on. So when he's, you know, outside of the kitchen, just like when I'm outside of the kitchen, you're different. Yeah. Because you're not working. So, uh, chef Ramsey, you know, he definitely exceeded my expectations in regards to, you know, respect and everything because he's not only wonderful, but he's kind and he, you know, obviously is a very high profile celebrity chef, but he recognizes and notices everything about everyone. So, you know, he's very thoughtful and mindful. And, um, you know, when you're that high profile of a chef, like you don't have to be, you know, so I think that was something that was very special um, about him is that he, 
he cares about everybody and he he's very kind. And it's awesome because I saw on the show, he actually um, gave you such a huge compliment. I think he said this is one of the best was it steak or pieces of meat that he's ever seen cooked. And I, I thought to myself, whoa, what a compliment. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, that was like one of my uh, favorite moments so far in the season. So he says uh, in the history of the show, nobody has ever cooked protein as good as, as I did. And so to be honest, it's like protein is typically like one of the hardest things to cook, which is funny because if you saw the previous episodes, it's like, I tend to go down on the fish station, which I actually know how to cook fish beautifully. But, uh, you know, you have a bad service, you have a bad service. So it was funny because I was like, oh gosh, thank God I redeemed myself. And he knows that I know how to cook protein because I would have, you know, if I had left there at any point and, and he didn't know that I knew how to cook protein, I would just be mortified. I'm grateful for that night. And I will always remember that moment when he, when he says that, because his words, you know, they, they carry a lot of weight and they mean a lot. I can only imagine. So you would do it again. So it was a, a good enough experience that if the opportunity presented itself, you would yeah. take another shot. I mean, it's it's definitely a stressful environment. I think now I would be more mentally prepared and in understanding of that. You know, I have done um, episodes for Food Network. I have been on Guys Grocery Games four times now, uh, but it's very different than when you do a series and it's reality television and you know you're in it and you're off the grid. So it's a very different kind of stressful environment, but I think that mentally now I would be prepared on a different level and I would be able to perform at a higher level. And I think that's kind of the biggest thing because um, at the end of the day, you know, whether I win or lose, which I can't give away any spoilers, but um, I, you know, through, you know, through the season thus far, you can see, I I do get in my head a lot. Um, And that's just the reality of it. Cause if I just sat back and I let myself, do what I love to do, which is cook, you know, everything would have been fine. But honestly, I think it's also a lesson to just ourselves. I think we put so much pressure on ourselves to be perfect right now and have this outcome, but the sky's the limit. I mean, you're, I'm sure being seen by so many people and I can't wait to just see how you flourish and maybe something even more beautiful. You have your own show or something. I mean, who, who knows? And I just hope that for you, you just are so proud of the, the fact that you went back to school and you really overcame all of those, those struggles in your personal life that you just don't talk about. Cause, cause it's a lot, it's really good. Yeah, it is a lot. I think that is interesting. Um, that was one of my favorite things that we had talked about was that I do think that a lot of times during interviews, uh, people never bring up the struggles and, and they never talk about kind of, you know, not the negatives, but the harder parts, you know, and what they had to overcome. And I think that's important for everybody in the world because, uh, you know, especially with social media and the way the world is now, everything looks so pretty and perfect. And I think it's important to realize that it's really not. And do you keep in touch? I know I see you with Mary Lou on some lives and now Nikki is the head for your line chefs or line cooks. So tell me about the relationships post recording. Yeah. So, um, the contestants and I were all pretty close. I am closest definitely with Nikki and Mary Lou. Um, but we are all the girls in the red team. We are all very close. Um, the rest of the contestants were all in a group chat. Um, I think there's two people that aren't in it, but everybody else is in it. And we, you know, we talk on a daily basis. Everybody's pretty good about, you know, being supportive. I think it's interesting because past seasons, I don't think people actually talk you know, the previous contestants talk as much as we do, but I think it's been interesting just to be able to have 
you know, that kind of support group, because when you do go through something so stressful, you, whether or not you get along with all those people and those contestants, like you're bonded to them in a weird way. So yeah, but I mean, Nikki, uh, we work together now. She's here on my team and it's lovely to have her here. She's, you know, especially as another female chef, I am grateful to have her here. Um, and I think she's equally as grateful. So it's, it's nice to, to be able to, to have had that bond and then now to kind of build on it. That's awesome. And I just want to ask, because we are hopefully nearing an end to this pandemic, but how did it affect you personally? I know the food industry in general has really had a hit and I, I hope for your sake, people were ordering out, et cetera, your um, outdoor, indoor dining at a lower capacity, but how has it affected you and how have you actually adapted? I mean, I think it's obviously been very hard for, for everybody in this industry. I'm not in an independent restaurant, but you know, for me personally, I, I did have to leave Chicago because, um, there weren't any jobs there. So, uh, that was part of the reason why I had to leave, you know, one of my favorite cities on the planet ever. So that's very hard. I'm super grateful to be with Aperium and I, I love Aperium. Uh, I've been looking at joining this company for a long time, but, um, you know, that was something that was on the personal side, you know, difficult for me because I am so tied to Chicago. But um, in regards to like the day-to-day -day business, I think the biggest thing has been, you know, a lot of us, you know, before we would wear one or two hats on a daily basis and just have to multitask. And now, you know, a lot of us have to wear like six hats, you know, it's like uh, sometimes, you know, my full-time job right now will be working in the dish pit or, you know, doing a variety of different things where it's like, you know, it's not really an option from a labor perspective. So from the financial side of things, you know, you just kind of, you know, like we talked about in the beginning, you have to adapt. And so that's been something that's kind of been very telling for people in our industry, because I think that it's weeded out the people that love it versus the people where it's just a job. And so the people that love it are fighting through it and working twice as hard, which, you know, this field is already a difficult field to work in. It's, it's not an easy time right now. And I know you said that you were even going into different types of cooking, like keto and vegan, et cetera. How was that journey for you? Did you implement that in your restaurant or not quite? I did want to explore. Um, I, I try to stray away from calling them diets, but more lifestyles. And I wanted to explore them. So I wanted to watch every food documentary that I could on each one of, uh, you know, keto, paleo and whatnot. And then when I was done, I was going to make a self-assessment and decide which one, which lifestyle I wanted to follow. So amongst doing that, I went, so I went keto and I really enjoyed it in regards to, obviously it's great for weight loss, but the mental clarity it brought to me was really exciting it's just really hard to practice uh, on the day-to-day -day in a kitchen. You know, amidst doing all that, I did find out that I had celiac because of the fact that I went keto. So it was kind of a blessing in disguise. But now in my kitchen, we try to make sure that everything is gluten-free. So anytime we make a sauce and we were to do a roux and we would use normal flour, you know, we're using cup for cup. So we make sure that everything that we do here now is gluten-free and we're very conscious of that. Uh, moving into the future, just because it is something that is, you know, something that we can impact on the day to day. It is more costly, but um, it's more beneficial to the guests. And if it's something where we can help the guests, whether they know they need or want it, then we're going to do it. And do you think that being on a TV show like House Kitchen, et cetera, does that really plummet um, your profession? What are you hoping that being on that show will do for your career and maybe even the viewers that might have a job similar to yours? 
for me, you know, my heart is really um, kind of, I want to work on my passion projects and towards my passion projects. So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, when I'm no longer on the planet, I don't want to only go down to be remembered as, you know, a Hell's Kitchen chef. But I do believe that, you know, uh, social media and networking are great opportunities just to, you know, kind of grow your tree. That's kind of been one of the biggest and most interesting parts for me, which is that, you know, I already love networking in the first place uh, because you never know where your path's going to go. I am not going to try to compete with Mary Lou. So I don't know if you've seen Mary Lou, but Mary Lou should a thousand percent have her own cooking channel um, or show because she does cosplay and she does recipes that correspond with the cosplay. So like, for example, she did, you know, a French dish for, from Ratatouille and she dressed as a character mm -hmm. from Ratatouille. So like she does all of these really cool um, things on her cooking channel, which is called Geeks and Grubs. And it's like so clever because I just feel like, you know, the, the, the daily and the regular kind of cooking, you know, channels and shows are definitely, you know, fading out, you know, they're not as exciting to watch. Yeah, who knows? I would love to, I would love to have something that is my own and comes up, but uh, I don't know where that'll be. And I think it's great that so many more women are being known in the industry. And I know you've said in the past, that's something that's really important to you. So can you talk about what you want to leave behind for the culinary world and maybe even for people who are women and you can relate to a little bit more. You know, when I get when I get really deep into these conversations, I always joke that I'm going to sound like a feminist, but there's nothing wrong with that. I just think that gender shouldn't matter, you know, and it's it's just so hard no matter the industry, but there's 7% of uh female chefs in my industry and less than 2% of them are paid over six figures. So, it is very concerning to me um and frustrating that that would be the case. Um, and I think that a lot of times too, especially as a woman, like I was discussing earlier, what can be concerning about that is, you know, I feel like a lot of times men are championed for some of their success in, you know, being stern or holding things down in a certain way. Whereas if a woman did it the same way, it might hold her back in her career, uh, versus, you know, being celebrated the way a man would be. So you know, while sometimes it can bite you in, in the butt, um, you're not going to get anywhere if you don't speak up. So, you know, no one's a mind reader and well, maybe somebody is, but uh, nobody that I know is. And um, I think the biggest thing is that you have to make things happen for yourself and you control your destiny. So um, I think, you know, as, you know, female chefs and women progress into the future, I think that's the biggest thing is I try to make sure that when I'm in my role, I don't think about gender. And when I'm discussing things, I just think about knowledge and I firmly believe that knowledge is power. And it's nice that you, even on the show, are always willing to share your tips and tricks because I think sometimes fear that if you help someone or you share something, they're going to take away all of what you've done. And I just never really understood that because I think there are so many blessings for everyone. And just because you share knowledge or wisdom, like you said, that person can take it, but no one can do the same thing the same way as someone else. Like at the end of the day, the people that are true to themselves and follow their passions, they shine because it's authentic. And I love that you do that. Yeah. I mean, I definitely did get a lot of crap from some of the contestants because they were like, stop helping. Like, you know, it's like, I was always joking because Mary Lou never used enough acid. So I was always like, Mary Lou, like, 
if you start using acid, these judges are going to be like, wow, your food is like next level. And then there was a challenge where she was like, she told me, she was like, I was nervous about the acid. And then I increased it. And she was like, and it was too acidic for me. And then the judge chased it. And he was like the acid on this dish. And so we went back to the dorms and she was like, thank you so much. Like I learned, she's like, I can't believe that. And then I just remember somebody like Corey or somebody was like, you're not supposed to like, we're here to compete. Like you're not supposed to teach the other contestants, but like, and that was the biggest thing for me too. It's like, you know, I know it's a competition, but I also like, I want to go against the best and like, she's not using enough acid, then yeah, my food's always going to be hers. And I want to play fair. I just, you know, it's kind of like the chefs that don't want to give out their recipes. Somebody's recipe always came from somebody else's. That's the biggest like compliment you can get from somebody is somebody wants to replicate it. Yeah. Maybe they're not going to tell the world that it was chef Amber's gnocchi, but at the same time, it's like a lot of my inspiration comes from Julia Child, you know, and my dishes you know, change from that, but I'm inspired by the base of her dish. And wh what's next for you? Where do you see right now your next goal? What is it? A few of my goals I can't technically talk about. One of them is uh, kind of in the works. So uh, Nikki and I have started, we do a Facebook Live on Tuesdays called Time to Dish. And so uh, I'm in the works of starting that actually as a company um, called Time to Dish. And uh, I'm hoping to use that as a base uh, for some of my projects in the future for some philanthropy, which will be very exciting and teaching kids. But uh, outside of that, I will just be here in Montclair, uh, rocking it at Allegory and the MC Hotel and, you know, just excited for the summer coming in the farmer's market and to be able to be on my bicycle again and out with my dogs. That's awesome. And if you ever need a taste tester, I will gladly give my services. <laughs> Next time I'm in Chicago, I definitely, we definitely need to eat somewhere and we need to cook together. Yes, 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 yes. So we'll wrap this up with a little bit of a speed question. I usually ask two, but because I have a renowned chef with me, I have to ask a little bit more. We'll make them quick. Number one, what is your favorite food? Oh God. Uh, it's chicken teriyaki. My grandma always made it for me. Your favorite restaurant? Uh, I'm going to say Alenia. Your favorite chef? Julia Child. Favorite cooking item? Uh, like tool. Mm -hmm. My offset spatula. And for a beginner, what do you recommend for a pot or pan, et cetera? Scan pan. And what is an underrated dish that you think everyone should know how to cook? Anything with homemade pasta. Yes. That's my favorite. Well, Everybody's Amber, scared of pasta. everyone is scared of pasta, but you know, so many chefs say that people should be making their own noodles because it's so easy. Yeah, it is. And it's like, there's just something about like, there's like this Italian grandma in me where it's like, I just want to touch a dough. Like, I just want to touch a dough. It makes such a difference. Like get your hands in the food, you know, feel it. And if you are talking maybe to someone listening who had a journey like yours, maybe afraid to go out and follow their dreams, what is something you wish you told yourself while you were through the process or some, something you wish someone told you at the beginning of your career? Never be scared of anything. You have one life. Go out and live it. Love it. We will end on that note. Thank you so much again for taking time out of your day cooking to chat with me. Thank you for being a friend all of these years. And I really yeah. miss, wish you the best success. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Please send in recommendations for topics or guests. 
You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Hope on TV. Thank you to Trouble Recordings for powering this podcast. You can listen to more episodes on HopeSalmon.com.